Hello everybody and welcome to Kickback, your global anti-corruption podcast. Enjoy today's episode of this joint production of the Interdisciplinary Corruption Research Network and the Global Anti-Corruption Blog. You can subscribe via Spotify, SoundCloud or iTunes. If you like what we do, leave us a rating at Apple Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do so by sending an email to info at icrnetwork.org. That's info at icrnetwork.org. Welcome to today's podcast. This is Matthew Stevenson, and I'm delighted today to have the opportunity to speak with Delton Daniel, who's a federal prosecutor in Brazil, and best known for his role as the coordinator of the so-called Lava Jato, or Car Wash, task force. Mr. Daniel and his team have been responsible for what many people believe is the largest anti-corruption investigation certainly in uh, Latin America ever, and possibly in the world. And we're going to have an opportunity today to talk about a little bit of the work that he and his team have done, as well as some of the issues that Brazil is likely to face going forward in its struggle against corruption in the aftermath of the ongoing car wash investigation. So, Delta, welcome. Thank you so much for uh, being willing to talk with us today on our podcast. I wanted to start out by asking you if you could just say a little bit for our listeners who might not be quite as familiar with uh, Brazil and with the car wash investigation, a little bit about the background of the investigation, how it started, and uh, what has happened, what are the most significant developments. And obviously, this is, it's very long and complex, so you can't, we could spend the whole time just describing it, but can you just maybe spend a couple of minutes orienting our listeners so they understand what this investigation is and what its significance is for Brazil. Sure. Thank you, Professor Stephenson, for this opportunity of discussing Carwash case and the anti-corruption cause in Brazil. We have been admiring your work on corruption, your discussions in the Global Anti-Corruption Blog, and it's a pleasure and an honor to participate in your podcast. Well, Carwash is a product of a work of many, many, many hands. It's an institutional work that has been led by prosecutors, federal police officers, and it has been judged in many different senses by our judiciary. So it's a, it's a joint work with a lot of institutions working against corruption. Carwash case began in 2014 when we discovered corruption in Petrobras a giant oil state-owned company. It was, at some point, the largest company in Brazil, corporation, and one of the largest in the world in its field. And uh, when we discovered corruption, we had evidence that there was corruption of some million dollars, but nothing compared with what we have right now. The turning point, or the big bang of car wash, was the decision of a former executive of Petrobras, Mr. Paulo Roberto Costa, to cooperate with the investigations. And when we sat in the table with him to talk about his cooperation, he began saying that there was indeed corruption in the contract that we were looking into, but not only in that contract of that company, 
there was corruption also in the other contracts of the same company. But not only that, also in the other contracts of the other companies in his field. And uh, actually, not only all the contracts of all the huge companies in his field, but also in other fields within Petrobras. And in order for you to have a dimension of the power of this person, this person was a downstream director of Petrobras, and the budget of his field was higher than the budget of many ministries, federal ministries in Brazil. So they were seen like gods in their fields. And when he decided to cooperate, he said that it was not a scheme of public employees of Petrobras, but it was a politically driven scheme. It was driven by our political class, and they were only people who were following orders from politicians who had appointed them. Well, and in order for you to have a, a dimension of this hurricane which passed through Brazil in the last five years, as a result, not only this investigation, but some others investigations, some other investigations that came following the, the steps of car wash. As a result, we had an accusation of corruption against the then current president, Michel Temer, who just stepped down January 1st. And we had, for the first time, corruption charges against an incumbent president. And we had also charges of corruption against the former president Lula, maybe the most popular president in Brazilian history. And not only that, we had also accusations of corruption against two former presidents, two other former presidents, one Fernando Collor de Mello, he was accused of corruption and money laundering, and Dilma Rousseff was not accused of corruption, but of criminal organization. And uh, we had apprehended in an apartment linked to a former minister of the Secretary of Government linked to the presidency, we had apprehended more or less $15 million in cash. In cash. That was uh, astonishing for us. We had implicated in the investigations six former speakers of the Senate and five speakers of the chambers of deputies, the lower house. We had implicated in the investigations more than 415 politicians of 26 different parties. And when I talk about this number of politicians, 415 of 26, they were implicated only by one corporation. We did not have, we do not have an account of the overall number of politicians which were implicated, but we, but some journalists made the account regarding one of the corporations who decided, which decided to cooperate with, with our justice system. We had a governor and a senator who were arrested along their mandates. We had dozens of high-level executives of our owners of huge construction companies who were arrested and convicted and are serving jail time. And a different aspect of Carwash, to end this, mm -hmm. this first answer, uh, is that these people have been held accountable in Carwash. They have been convicted, they are serving jail time, and we had never seen something like this before in Brazil. Brazil is maybe the heaven of impunity for white-collar crimes, and now this is changing. 
And all this from the investigation of an actual car wash, right? For, for listeners who don't know, car wash, it, it, that's not a metaphor. It's that there was a literal car wash where this whole investigation started. Am I right about that? Yeah, more or less. Let me explain a little bit. Please do, yeah. yeah. Uh, we began this investigation as a money laundering investigation. We were looking at people who are exchange dealers, but do it illegally, not mm-hmm. legally. They send and bring money to abroad and from abroad without stating it to the central bank. And uh, a lot of people who develop illegal activity use their services. Among the clients of the people who we were investigating were drug traffickers, for example. And uh, when we were looking into these people, we discovered the involvement of a former exchange dealer who we had investigated in the past, in the Banestado case, a prior huge case that we had in Brazil. And uh, looking into his activities, he also helped politicians. And uh, he also helped Mr. Costa, who was this director of Petrobras, or former director of Petrobras, even at that point he already had retired. And uh, then, uh, and, and one of the, the, the dealers, one of the exchange dealers, had a gas station. And gas stations in Brazil are a place where usually you have car washes. But not in that specific place. In uh. that place, he had a, a laundry, mm-hmm. a laundry, uh, a regular laundry working. But he also used the place to laundry money. And then the police officer, when she went to give a name to the case, when we were wiretapping some individuals, she had the, the, the reasoning that it was a gas station that used to have car washes and uh, the idea of washing is the idea of washing of money, so she gave this name. Right. And then, uh, we, we, following the, the, the lead of Youssef, we arrived to Mr. Costa, and then Mr. Costa, when he decided to cooperate, we, have, we had the big bang of car wash. Right, so I want to ask you about that cooperation, because my understanding is that one of the very important aspects of the work that you've done in the investigation is the use of plea bargaining agreements with cooperating witnesses, and also settlements with uh, corporate defendants in particular. And those are not the same, obviously, but, but they have this common feature that there are a lot of uh, settlement negotiations that you reach uh, with respect to penalties and testimony and, and so forth. My understanding is that particularly the use of plea bargaining in exchange for witness testimony had not been as widely used in Brazil and, or, or what was and maybe still is somewhat controversial. Can you talk a little bit about that, the role of plea bargaining, and then I'm also going to want to ask you about settlement with companies like Odebrecht. But let's let's start with the plea bargaining aspect of your investigation. What role did that play? How and why was that important? Sure. I know that the expression plea bargain has different meanings or is used for different kinds of agreements in the United States. And I will use here this expression plea bargain to refer to what we call here cooperation agreements mm-hmm. with defendants. Okay. And in these agreements, they do not only confess the crimes, they mm-hmm. also have to bring new facts and new evidence regarding new crimes, not only the crimes that we already have evidence related to, but also other crimes. And this allows us to expand the investigation. The cooperation agreements with the defendants, the big bargains, were the engine which moved car wash. They were the source of energy that made car wash to expand. Uh, it became a snowball because we had the first one, then we had a lot of other ones, then we have a lot of other ones based on the pure, and nowadays we have more than 150 plea agreements with defendants. Mm-hmm. 
in all of them we had new evidence regarding new crimes and then you can understand how this case expanded so quickly and in a so impressive dimension and uh, why didn't we have plea agreements before because our system is a crooked criminal judicial system in which we are not able to put white collar crimes in jail and when you are not able to enforce the law you do not have leverage for negotiations of the agreement why would a defendant cooperate with us for a reduced penalty if he can get away with it he will never do so however in this case we had a lot of circumstances which helped us to make the law effective and when they realized that they were going to be punished then it made sense for them to negotiate an agreement one of the circumstances which helped us was the fact that in Mensalão case Mensalão was a huge case prior to Carwash in which a lot of politicians were accused for corruption and one of the persons Marcos Valério was convicted to serve about 40 years in jail and he is actually serving the time so Mr Costa when he was arrested and he was not released by different courts he used habeas corpus to try to get released and he, when he was not he realized that he could be the new Marcos Valério and he could serve an amount of penalty that could be similar to 40 years or something like that and then he realized that he could achieve a better situation cooperating with the justice system and then he turned it in a lot of people and we were able to arrest all those a lot of other defendants at least the main ones the main criminals and these people were kept under arrest by our courts and they realized that they could also be punished in the end of the procedure one important aspect is the fact that when persons are under arrest their procedures they their criminal procedures they their pace of the criminal procedures is much faster than when they are not under arrest so uh, the cooperation agreements worked very well in this case we were able to use them to expand investigations to gather additional evidence and one important point is that we never charge or not to say seek the conviction of people but we not never even charge people based solely on the words of a cooperating defendant we use the words of a cooperating defendant only as a departing point for investigations and if along the lines of the investigations we are able to gather good evidence which meets the standards of brazilian standards of proof that are the same as the north american standards of proof then we would proceed to offer charges or to seek convictions i see so brazilian law already had a legal basis for plea bargaining prosecutors could have used it in an earlier period but you're suggesting that the key change that allowed you to so effectively use this technique was that the expected penalties for non-cooperation had become more significant and more credible is that the, my basic understanding yeah more credible and more right. credible so i'd love to ask you more about that but i also want to ask a little bit about the related but maybe distinct process of, of reaching settlement agreements with corporations so uh, when you for example uh, reached a negotiated resolution with Odebrecht the major construction Brazilian construction firm that was has been involved in so much of the corruption not only here but elsewhere 
That, I understand, was making use of a new provision of Brazilian law. And I, am I right about that in the so-called Clean Companies Act? Can you explain how that worked? Sure. Since 2013, uh, we have a Clean Companies Act. It's uh, something that is, in a certain way, similar to FCPA. The Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, for those who don't know that abbreviation. Right. Yeah. Uh, its aim is to punish companies with high penalties for wrongdoing related to corruption, basically. And uh, we have sold this new legal frame. And uh, more than that, we had, in this case, we had a lot of companies which were familiar companies, companies managed by families. And we were able to arrest a lot of people who were in charge of the companies who had been committing crimes for more than a decade and were still with contracts going on in which they had commitments to pay bribes. So we arrested a lot of these people and we had the Clean Companies Act and uh, all the circumstances and also the fact that this, some of these companies, construction companies, they were leveraged by loans gotten in the financial market and they had their loans jeopardized by the investigations and uh, a lot of circumstances pressed the companies to to cooperate with us, to solve their problem, to reach a deal. And uh, the first one was made with a, a low-level company. Uh, its name was Cetal. This agreement was reached in the end of 2014. And the most interesting aspect of this first agreement is that the law actually forbade us from reaching agreement regarding a specific kind of penalty that the prosecution office could seek before justice to apply against the companies. However, we reread the system. We had a lot of new laws which entered in the system, a lot of new acts which entered the system since one, two decades ago, which established negotiations and consensual solutions in many fields of our law. And especially regarding corruption. We had also the, the International Convention Against Corruption of the UN and other norms. And we reread an old statute that forbid, forbade us from making the deal to say that reading that statute, according to all the new legislation, we were allowed to do so. But we did not do this new interpretation alone. We submitted our first view to the analysis of the judiciary and to the analysis of superior instances within the federal prosecution office, and all then agreed with us. And in fact, the agreements with companies are very important. Very important not only to get a relief regarding the wrongdoing, this is not our main purpose in the deals with the companies, but particularly to expand the investigations gather new evidence and new information regarding other crimes. We were de dealing with companies which participated in a huge cartel. And when you go into any of these companies, dozens of people participated in the crime. And the only possible way for you to put together all the pieces of this puzzle is to have in the company to cooperate. Because if a lot of employees succeed each other, succeed each other mm -hmm. in the same positions, other went out of the company and a lot of different departments helped in different ways. So the help of the company 
may allow us to put together all the pieces in a way that the law enforcement would hardly do, at least would hardly do quickly. Great. So I take it that would be your response to there are people out there in Brazil and elsewhere who are skeptical about settling with corporations. They worry that it lets companies off the hook too easily. There are some people who wonder why is Odebrecht allowed to stay in business? Why weren't they completely shut down? And I take it part of your answer is that you need to make some concessions in order to get the information that allows you to expand your investigations. That basically the yeah and, yeah and it it was in this specific case. Odebrecht that 415 politicians of 26 different political parties were implicated in the investigations. So uh, not only the company uh, made a huge deal regarding uh, the relief that it had to pay, but uh, the main part of it was the evidence and information that it delivered, allowing us to pursue a lot of other companies and other very important and high-profile politicians in Brazil. Great. So um, the car wash investigation, of course, has attracted a lot of attention, both domestically and internationally. Many people uh, have praised it, are very enthusiastic about the work that you and your team are doing cleaning up corruption in Brazil. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, it's also been controversial in some quarters. I know that there are people both in Brazil and abroad who have criticized the investigation, who have attacked your team, who have attacked you personally in the press. Uh, and politically, and have attempted to undermine the credibility of the investigation. And in those conversations, in addition to raising questions about tactics or particular decisions, one persistent theme has to do with the allegations that uh, this is a politically motivated investigation, uh, that it's particularly hostile to certain parties or politicians, And it's reminiscent of things that we see in other countries as well. So right now in my own country, uh, where the special counsel Robert Mueller is investigating President Trump's campaign and possibly President Trump himself, President Trump frequently refers to that investigation as a witch hunt uh, all over the world. Whenever there are anti-corruption investigations that target powerful people, there are allegations that there is a political bias in the investigation or prosecution. And... Uh, sometimes those allegations are meritless. Sometimes in some countries there, there may be something to them. So I wanted to ask you, how do you, as a, as a prosecutor, as a leader of your team, address that situation? What do you do, if anything, to try to maintain the legitimacy and credibility of your work in the eyes of the public when there are many people who are actively raising questions about your motivations or or potential biases. In one word, transparency. These allegations do not surprise us as well. It is written in the first page of the handbook of corrupt politicians around the world that when they are prosecuted or investigated, they have to say that the investigations are politically motivated. Our team was formed before we had any politician being investigated. More than that, prosecutors in Brazil, they are independent from the executive branch. We enter into career through public contests. We are not politically appointed. We have no links and had in our history no links to political parties. In this case, only the prosecution office, we work in more than 10 prosecutors, federal prosecutors. And we, we have a team in the Federal Prosecution Office of more than 60 
persons only in Curitiba, not to mention other places before car wash has spread to a lot of other cities in Brazil. And we have also other instances of the Federal Prosecution Office, which also work in this case. And more than that, we have more than 40 federal police agents who work in this case. We have also a lot of judges from the first to the last instance in Brazil. We have four different instances which, which oversee the case. And uh, we act in a very independent way. So uh, what we have done is to make everything public. We have regular press conferences when we press important charges against people and we, or when we have important events in the case. We also have the first website regarding a criminal case in Brazil. This was totally new too. We adopted a new communication strategy and uh, we have given hundreds of interviews to the press. It's very, we know that's a very hard situation because we are a group of prosecutors with no economic or political power. And we are facing people who are very, very powerful, both politically and economically. And how could not we smashed by them? The only way is to have society together with us. And then, as you said, credibility becomes a major issue. Because they know our defendants, our very powerful defendants, know that society is our shield. And if they are able to lower the support from society, they will be able to turn down the investigation. They will be able to attack the investigation. So we have kept a new communication strategy with the highest possible publicity. All our cases are public. Our case in which we offer charges, we press charges against people, they are public. Any person can go into the system and see the information, the charges and the evidence that we have produced. Of course, people may argue about the evidence, people may have different interpretations of the law or of the evidence, but the courts have endorsed our work so far. More than 95% of the decisions made in Karwash were endorsed by three different courts of justice, which review all the decisions of the first instance judge. And some people would argue, so what was the reason that explained the fact that Karwash began investigating mainly three parties, the Workers' Party, PMDB, and the Progressive Party? There is a simple and logical explanation for that. Our investigation began in Petrobras. Petrobras had its directors appointed by the government and the government would point to the main positions of Petrobras only politicians who supported the government, not, not politicians from the opposition. So the main parties which supported the government and the party of the government, the Workers' Party, were the ones which filled the main positions in Petrobras. This is the reason why at first, we achieved evidence regarding these parties. However, when the investigation spread to other branches of the government or even to the companies which acted in different, in different states of Brazil, not only in the federal level, then these companies turned in politicians related to all a myriad of political parties in Brazil. As I said, only Odebrecht, 
turned in or implicated politicians related to 26 different parties. Yeah, so uh, I want to pick up, that's fascinating, I want to pick up on the point that you made about transparency, because one of the things that really is striking, especially maybe to someone like me from the United States who's used to a different way of doing things about your office, is how much information you're providing about car wash and the ways in which you're doing it. So, so you tweet, you have a Twitter account, you have an Instagram account, you and other members of your team are, are seen in, in, on TV or in other forums talking about the case. And again, as someone from the United States, I can't help but contrast that with, again, our special counsel, Robert Mueller, who is in the process of investigating potential wrongdoing by possibly the president himself and certainly people very close to the president. And he doesn't tweet. Right? He certainly doesn't have an Instagram account. He doesn't even give press conferences. Uh, occasionally, very occasionally, his office will, will uh, put out some kind of a note or a memo, especially when it wants to correct the public record. But it's extraordinarily unusual. Usually that uh, investigation speaks only through its court filings. Do you think Robert Mueller should start tweeting? It depends on the circumstances of each country. Uh, in this case, I, I do not know uh, very deeply uh, this, this investigation. And please uh, do not take my stance on that as the final position or, or a, a very... Yeah, I, I should, I'm, I'm mostly okay. joking when I asked you if Robert Mueller should start tweeting, but actually you're getting at really what the, the serious question behind the joke question, which is no, stepping out of your role just as a prosecutor in Brazil, can you say a little bit more about what circumstances do you think favor a very open and communicative prosecutorial strategy such as, as you have adopted, sure. and what circumstances favor a more tight-lipped, almost mysterious prosecutorial strategy that seems more like what uh, Mr. Mueller has adopted in the United States? Sure, but uh, what I would say regarding Mr. Mueller, and that's a, a difference that I see, a very important difference, is that as far as I know, Mr. Mueller is investigating the president and maybe related persons. Here, we are not investigating one person related to one party. We are investigating a lot of people related to almost every political party in Brazil. So mm -hmm. when you are investigating only one person, you are going to have the support of a lot of other parties, at least the opposition parties. But here, it's not what's going on. When you are investigating everybody or almost all the political parties, they have reasons to turn their guns against you. And the only support that you can have is the support from civil society. Uh, besides that, uh, I don't know what are, how strong is the, the position that Mr. Bowler is occupying, but here we have no economic or political power. The only support that we can have is from society. And uh, we knew from the beginning of this case that without public support, we would go nowhere because our criminal justice system usually does not work against white collar criminals. So we, we needed society to, to walk the path together with us. We needed their support to, so that the investigations and the procedures could go on. And uh, I think that it was a correct strategy, at least for the Brazilian context, and for the context of our investigation. We still keep our contact with, with society because we look at what happened in Italy. In Italy, they had a good support from society in the first two, three years. Just to clarify for our listeners, you're referring to the clean hands investigation oh, yeah. in Italy in the 1990s? Please yeah, continue. yeah. In, in the 1990s, we had, uh, there was a, a huge investigation that has a lot of similarities with car wash. It was the clean hands investigation. 
it was conducted by the by the prosecution office of Milan and there as here there was an important oil company in the center of the investigations there as here a percentage of the contracts were paid to a lot of politicians of a lot of political parties and there as here they had the support of public opinion for two three years however there it changed mm. a lot of criticisms came from different public positions politicians began to criticize the case based on a lot of arguments that they also use here in brazil however there the prosecutors were not able to speak aloud they were not able to be as public as we are here and their public support was drained and when that happened the political system fighted back and they were able to empty the penalties to nullify procedures to change laws in order to nullify procedures they changed the status of limitations in order to shrink the time limits they passed laws in order to undermine the autonomy of the prosecutors and so on and we do not want to have the same fate we want to keep public support in order for us to keep the results in order for us to to maintain the convictions the investigations and we have we still have a lot of work to do and public opinions support is very important it's core for our case great so i want to also ask you about another aspect of your work that's that goes beyond the investigations and prosecutions uh, and that's your oh please uh, just, just uh, oh, i would yeah. like just to add that our strategy is not decided only by ourselves we have a, a an official communications team within mm -hmm. the federal prosecution office which help us in the decisions and for example when i went to a, a talk show to talk about car wash uh, to a, a famous person who interviews people i did not went there i did not go there because i i i wanted to go there i went there because this official team sat in front of me and said delton if you don't go there you are not going to reach a part of our society that's important for us to reach that's important for us to clarify what is going on what happened and if you do not tell the patient the disease that he has if he is not aware of the diagnosis how can you expect that he will seek the treatment and what carwash revealed was a systemic corruption state and if people do not know that how could we expect that they seek reforms if we want a better place we need reforms and we need to heighten public awareness on that thanks that's really uh, interesting i i, I want to build on some of the things we've been talking about but, but go beyond them and i want to ask you about part of your role that extends beyond your role as a prosecutor in investigating and prosecuting specific criminal offenses to your role in the public square arguing for broader changes in brazilian law and policies again as someone from the united states it's it's striking and very different from what you would see in the us it would be relatively unusual for a prosecutor especially someone who's not the attorney general to be publicly advocating for legal reform but you have been very active in your communications with the public not only defending your uh, and explaining your investigations and prosecutions but in, in talking about broader reforms that, that Brazil needs. So you and your team 
uh, pushed what you would call the 10 measures against corruption, which unfortunately didn't go anywhere in the Congress. And now I understand that in partnership with civil society, there's, there's an even longer list. I forget how many measures are on the current list. Uh, we don't have time, and we only have a limited amount of time remaining in our conversation today to go through all however many measures there are. But I want to put the question to you this way. What do you think are the two or three most important reforms to Brazilian law or policy that need to be made in order to uh, sustain and expand your country's efforts against corruption? What are the two or three most important anti-corruption reforms that you really hope Brazil adopts within the next, let's say, two to five years? Okay, I will begin by the beginning of your question. In Brazil, the, the federal the prosecution service has a lot of different tasks attributed by law. And one of these this tasks is to fight against corruption. Other one is to defend democracy. And we are very, very independent from the executive branch. Uh, the executive branch is able to appoint the chief of our career. However, once he or she is appointed, the executive branch cannot strike the person down. And uh, even in the appointment, usually it respects a list of people who we, the prosecutors, elect. We give to the president a list with three names. And for the last years, the list has been respected. And more than that, even within the Federal Prosecution Office, what we do here in Curitiba is up to us, to us, to our mind, to our conscience, to, and to our understanding of the law. We, we do not follow orders in our procedures that come from the general attorney, from the general prosecutor. So this is the way in which the prosecution service was built by our constitution and by our law. We are very independent and we have these tasks, these purposes established for the prosecution office to defend democracy and to fight against corruption. And along the investigations, what we realized is that corruption is widespread and we could not actually reduce the corruption indexes without attacking its causes. And when we look at what happened, at what was unveiled by car wash, is a huge scheme in which politicians point out to important positions persons who are committed to gather bribes. Once appointed to the public positions, the agents will fraud bids, they will sell licenses and so on in order to gather bribes, which they will turn to the politicians and the bribes are used for two main purposes. And I'm explaining that because it's necessary for you sure, to understand yeah, please, what please, are the please. main measures. Yes. And the two purposes are, first, their personal enrichment, and second, illegally financing their political activity. There are some researchers here which show that the amount of reais that you put in political campaigns correspond to the amount of votes that the person will receive in the ballots. So the higher is the amount of money that, puts, that the politician puts in, the higher is the likelihood that he is going to be elected. And when you have a system where a lot of, a lot of politicians appoint people to positions to gather bribes, then you have a lot of politicians who are going to have their power perpetuated or who is going to get re-elected 
because they are collecting bribes. And they, once elected again, they are going not only to keep their scheme, but to broaden their scheme. And they will bring other people together. And they will try to have around themselves people who are in the same scheme. And if we want to really fight corruption, car wash is not enough. Car wash is a necessary condition, but not a sufficient condition for change. We need not only a case in which we are able to punish powerful people, but we need to we need not only a case that is a point outside of the curve of impunity, but we need to ch change the curve of impunity. We need to change the law. We need to end impunity in Brazil, and we need to change the political system. So we need reforms, in my perspective, both in the judicial system and in the political system. Then, when we... But in the beginning of the case, we realized that a lot of people in Brazil, a lot of people were thinking that we would change Brazil, that Carwash would change Brazil, that we were their hopes, that we would provide the transformation that they hoped to see in Brazil. They were seeing us as heroes, but there is no hero. If we want transformation, the only hero is the citizen, is the civil society. We need changes, and the only way for us to achieve changes is through society. Then we worked on bills of law that could change the system. Because we work with the judicial system, we worked mainly in, this, in the judicial system changes. We worked in the changes and we produced about 20 bills of law that we rearranged to be 10 proposals against corruption. And we presented the proposals to civil society. And what happened was that after some time, nobody was talking about that. Then we began to give talks and lectures about the 10 proposals against, against corruption. And some people get, got organized and they decided to collect signatures. This was a decision of a group of citizens and we supported them. We supported and we helped them. And then it began a huge civil society campaign in which more than 2 million physical signatures were collected and those projects were transformed in a kind of people's view of law. And it went to our Congress. And when I, I look at the, and it has a, a, its own story that we could talk about another time. Yeah. But when we look at, uh, at the change that we need, we need changes in the judicial system. We need changes in the, regarding these changes, we need changes in the state of, of limitations. We have a crazy state of limitations which turns down almost every prosecution against high-profile people. We, we need changes also in the, in the way that we deal with illicit evidence. If we could have the same system as you have in the United States, it would be perfect for us. But the problem is that we imported the North American system, but only the part that benefits the defendant and not the part that benefits society. Here, if you have this evidence, there is no balancing test as you have in which you would ponder the benefits to the society and the deterrence effect. Here, when you see an, any kind of this evidence, even if it's a minor problem, a minor procedural problem, you have a huge chance of nullifying all the procedure. Besides that, we do not have here the crime of illicit enrichment 
a lot of times it's very hard to prove corruption and so a lot of countries have this this crime in which when the person has a public position and illicitly enriches himself or herself the person will be charged for with this crime uh, we need also political slush funds crime uh, that has a good punishment we do not have that in brazil we need also better tools to get back the money that they diverted from public funds so we, we need a set of measures it's not only one or two that we need we need a set of measures in order for us to send a message that corruption is not going to be worthwhile in brazil anymore we don't have this message this message right now in brazil and particularly in the past things are changing but we need additional changes and when we look at the political system what we see is that we have a virtual a vicious circle in which corruption generates re-election and re-election of corrupt people generates more corruption and more illegal money and so on we need to break that circle one way to that could help us to change that is to diminish the costs of political campaigns we need to do so there are already some measures in order to do so that were just approved but we need more uh, we need also to have democracy not only outside the parties we need democracy within the parties nowadays we have leaders in the parties who decide everything within within the parties they decide who are going to run for elections and how much money they are going to receive from public money that the parties receive they decide alone who is going to receive how much money we need to establish a democracy within the party so that we can diminish the power of these leaders because many of the times these leaders are corrupt leaders who want to keep corrupt schemes and will favor corrupt politicians in the distribution of the money and consequently in the likelihood that they are going to be elected so uh, in our in a nutshell uh, i would highlight these aspects but we have also other proposals transparency international in brazil for example has developed with a high reputation university uh, with a, a very recognized university they have developed together a new package of bill of laws against corruption they are called the new measures against corruption as a development of the 10 measures against corruption that came before the new ones are called the new measures against corruption and they also bring some suggestions that relate to more transparency and they also propose the statute regarding whistleblowers which is very important in my opinion they also brings up a lot of different uh, proposals maybe we could I, I know that we are running out of time so I will not go deep on that but they have a lot of broad proposals that they came from their own experience and they, the experience of other countries which were successful around the world well thank you very much that's uh, really informative and uh, let me conclude our conversation by just wishing you and your team and all of your fellow citizens the best of luck in breaking this vicious cycle that you described. Uh, I'm sure we all look forward to following news from Brazil and following the progress, not only of your work with Car Wash Task Force, but uh, the broader struggle against corruption here and, and elsewhere. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. My guest today, again, has been Delton Donimo, a federal prosecutor from Brazil and the coordinator of the Car Wash Task Force. Uh, thank you very much. Bye-bye.